Good to see you all. Welcome. Hopefully you're well. So one of the things we're creating here, and you know this, last year we started this, is a hybrid type of environment in our community. And so you may or may not know, the first Sunday of every month, we're actually in Praxis communities together. We're actually in homes together, typically. And uh, next week is that, kind of the first community Sunday of the year, uh, the first Sunday of every month. I know January was kind of New Year's Day, but so we're going to be doing this. We just want to encourage all community leaders, and if you're a part of helping kind of cultivate a community together, and a part of that, uh, to one, reach out to your community and get that going. And we're going to have some online content that will kind of flow out of today for next week. And we'll, I think it'll be a great Sunday together in homes together. It helps us take a little bit of a deep breath from here, but also gives lots of space because most of the time we eat together, come around the table together is the primary way of worship and uh, take some time together. And, you know, it's a little bit of a, a, an adjustment, I know, but last year was so good and looking forward to 2023 and the first Sundays of the month. So that's next week. And if you're not in a community and you'd like to be, we'll do everything we can to help you get involved uh, in a community and connect you to some wonderful folk along the way. So looking forward to that. Um, last Sunday, <laughs> after the gathering, it was just me and Jonas Somehow the family went a thousand different ways and it was just me and Jojo, Jojo seven years old. And I was like, bro, it's just me and you. What are we gonna do? And of course, on a Sunday afternoon, it always begins with lunch, right? Come on, Sunday. I guess every day we eat lunch, but Sunday in particular, being here early and setting up and going through our gatherings. And so, of course, I said to Jonas, you know what I want. And he said, oh, yeah, Dad, you want shawarma. And it was already ordered on the app, so it was all good. But I said to him, what do you want? And his eyes just got really big because this was his moment. No brothers and sister to kind of dominate where we would eat lunch together. And he looked at me, and, of course, it was the golden arches in his eyes that he wanted. Now, don't judge me. Don't judge me. It happens once in a while. And so we made our way to the McDonald's drive-thru. Jojo pretty excited. Now we do this thing in our house. We call it the frickin' McChicken. Um, this is what we call that sandwich. Or freaking McChicken, we call it. Freaking McChicken. And uh, so this is what I actually, this is in, in the drive-thru. This is what we call it. Actually, a junior fr freaking, I gotta be careful. A junior freaking McChicken meal for Jonas. And listen, guys, this was like, I'm not complaining here. This is not like get off my lawn, um, but... Like three years ago, a freaking McChicken meal was $5.50 total all in. And, don't judge me, they did not charge you for throwing the mac sauce on at that time, where it was like a little, you're judging me, I know, in your head, but like a little junior Big Mac. And so I'm going through the thing, thinking this is great, I get my shawarma, Jonas, and the number comes on the screen, and it is not $5.50. Like, this was like just three and a half years ago. It is nine freaking dollars and 50 cents for this little meal. And you know, like, this is, yeah, some of you are like, really? I know, you don't eat McDonald's. There you go. We thought this was the cheap option with four children. Um, the reality is we live in a moment that's shaking and changing when it comes to economics in our world. And things have changed since COVID. And so one of the things we've tried to do is kick the last couple weeks off, this last week and this week, and we'll look next week as well in our communities, at a theology of money. And I know you're just so glad you came again. Welcome. 
But we started this last week just looking at money and what Jesus says about money and what the church should live into when it comes to money. I do, I hate this, like I hate, hey, go back and listen, but we laid a foundation and looked at Jesus' teaching last week in the Sermon on the Mount on money and took some time. And I shared at the beginning of the teaching, and I'll say this again, that (laughs) I used to be terrified talking about money, appealing for money, even looking at this. Like 10, 12 years ago when we started this community, I was really on edge. And I have my own story and experiences in the church, and maybe some of you do too, where we just like completely shied away from it. I've really grown in that uh, recently um, because one, money is a thing. Don't know if you know this, but a freaking chicken meal costs $9.50, right? So money is a thing. Our lives are driven in many ways. Even when we have good control over our money and are living under the rule and reign of God, money has its place. And Jesus knew this, right? Actually, more than anything that the scriptures and Jesus taught about um, outside of the kingdom of heaven, and it was connected oftentimes to his parables, was stuff, possessions, and money. Jesus talked about this a lot. And I just started the the, the teaching last week just letting you guys know, like even the freedom now of how we've set things up here, I started the teaching last week, I do not want your money. We do not want your money. This is a beautiful uh, season and setting and space for me to say, I am not trying to shake pockets. I'm not, you know this, I think by now. We have set ourselves up in a really good space. But with all the changes in our moment, and some of you are younger and trying to buy homes, interest rates rising, and just a little bit of uncertainty in the Western world since COVID when it comes to many of you thinking about your future and money and what does this mean, I think it's important for us to look at it. And so we're going to do that again. What we're going to do, this is going to be more nuts and bolts. Like I said last week, we looked at Jesus' teaching on the mountain. There's really two things that Jesus communicates to the people, and this should be on our radar as we think about money. One is just my heart, our hearts always go where we put our money. So for the Jesus followers and for the church community, we're not just people that say things, right? Even the word praxis uh, comes from this word poieo, to practice. Jesus over and over spoke of bearing or doing things. And so the beautiful thing with money, and as we talk about possessions and the stuff, is we can say one thing, but really our hearts always go, and Jesus knew this, where we put our stuff and our energy and our time and our money into. And so it's just a reality for us and a reminder for us. This is actually a beautiful thing. It's challenging, certainly, but it reminds us that our hearts always go where we put our money. And two, Jesus over and over kind of reminds us as well that everything belongs to God. Everything, everything we have belongs to him. And now we get to kind of steward with our lives what God has given us. That there's this idea of kind of being open conduits to what God wants to speak in and through us. And so I'm, I'm excited to talk about this. I would not have been 10, 12 years ago, but one, my own journey in this, in the idea of generosity, and two, there's no shaking pockets, there's no trying, there's no, there's going to be no building fund or anything at the end. This is typically what happens. Churches, like, they talk about money and they ramp you up to something. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to ramp up, we're going to come to the tables, and then you can go get your own freaking chicken meal or do whatever you want to do, okay? There's no appeal at the end. One of the things we want to do is we want to look at, I think, one of the best cases of generosity in the scriptures, and it's found actually 
in 1 Corinthians 8. So if you actually want to open up your Bibles with me, that's where we're going to be. We're going to look at this church in the ancient world and how they kind of handled and dealt with things. And then we'll take a couple minutes and just talk about nuts and bolts for us as we wind down and come to the table. Um, Paul, as you know, is in communication with a lot of churches in the first century. He would go, he would start churches, and often his method was to kind of write letters back and forth. If you know, there was this church in Corinth, the city of Corinth, which was like the Vegas of the day, a place where people, especially because of the sailor trade, would come, a lot of prostitution, a lot of uh, partying, ancient kind of world type of partying in the city. And that's where Paul goes. He went to the majority places he went to was influential places where trade would actually go out. He saw his mission as going to places that would influence the rest of the world. And Corinth is one of these spaces, and the church in Corinth is absolutely jacked up. If you were with us, I think in 2016, we walked slowly through the letter of 1 Corinthians, and you get, I mean, if you think the Bible is boring, just take a second and read 1 Corinthians, because there is all sorts of jacked up stuff, leadership factions, a guy sleeping with his stepmom, you're like, that's in the Bible? That's, that's, the Bible is very real. Paul dealing with all sorts of family things, order and worship, people are kind of yelling out in the public gathering, all sorts of things. And so Paul has this correspondence back and forth with this church in Corinth, and in 2 Corinthians, he writes about another community. So he's basically writing to the Corinthian church about another community and how they kind of flow in this. Verse 1, 2 Corinthians 8. Sorry, I said 1 Corinthians. Did I say 1 Corinthians? I meant 2 Corinthians. Hey, throw me a bone. It's all good. We all make mistakes. It's good. 2 Corinthians 8, you can listen to if you want. And now, brothers and sisters, Paul says, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Just remember that, Macedonian churches. In the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy, and listen to this, their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their own ability. I love what Paul says about these Macedonians. They gave entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just, to, just as he had early made a beginning, to bring also the completion, this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, interesting, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in love, we have, uh, in, this, in, the, in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Stage has been set for this Paul is writing to the church in Corinth about another community of churches, these people in ancient Macedonia. And if, we, if you kind of study the area and the time, these people we know are not wealthy people, right? And yet an appeal comes, and the snapshot we kind of get is that these, this community, even though they're poor, is ready to go. They're like... In many ways, we see, you almost feel it in Paul's writing. They are on the edge of their seat, 
ready to go to display and put on display this generosity within them. And there's really, you know me, I'm not a huge point guy, but there's really four things we can draw from this that I think are important. One is in Paul's language you hear here, here, they were experiencing severe trials and extreme poverty. Extreme poverty, severe trials, and yet the, the outflow for them is that they were generous. And so a reminder to us, and I get it, like I think we've kind of peddled this a little because Heather and I were babies when we started this community. So I was 27 years old when we started uh, what was known as City View Church back in the day. And I, I think back now to how young we were and how crazy that is. Like, you know, we did, uh, we're, we're in youth ministry for years and then kind of launched out to start a church. And now looking back in wisdom, see, man, how crazy young we were. And there's kind of been this own kind of, um, this own kind of mantra or kind of like it rolls off our lips a lot over the last 10 or 12 years that we're young, right? None of us have money. It's really hard, you know. It's hard to kind of live in this world as young people and here we are. And sometimes I think of the church community here, the Macedonians, severe trials, extreme poverty. And what we tend to do is we tend to measure sometimes actually how much we have compared to how generosity flows out of our lives. And this was not the case for the Macedonians. And I've actually seen this in my own journey. I know a lot of people, and Jesus talked about this, right? The healthy eye, the image that Jesus gave us last week is that when you have a healthy eye, the way we steward money actually affects our entire lives. And Maybe you're like me, you know a lot of people that have a lot but aren't generous, but then I know a lot of people that don't have very much and generosity kind of pours out of their lives. This was the Macedonians. And I know from my own self and kind of leading our own community, I want to caution a little bit from, oh, we're young and, you know, and still kind of young, um, to remind ourselves in the process of this that it's not as much about how much you have as it is the outflow of generosity that comes from out of us. So they were experiencing severe trials, extreme poverty. Listen, I don't want to minimize any of our experiences in this room. I don't think that's helpful, but we can be reminded and it can be helpful sometimes to remind ourselves in the ancient world what it would have been like to have this title over you. Not a lot of stuff. And in the Roman Empire, it was a stratified society, right? The poor of the poor um, were really ostracized and this played itself out in so many different layers and areas within that culture. And these would have been the kind of people that Paul was talking about, yet they were generous. So one, severe trials, extreme poverty, they were generous. But two, I love this. Please catch this. We learn about this community that the appeal comes, right? Hey, we, there's, we need your help here. And it, Paul says of them that they gave as each one was able. Maybe some of your translations say each one to their ability. I love this. They gave as each one was able. I love this because it's a picture here of the community that wasn't just like compelled or forced into something, but they gave as each one was able. The ability to give spurred on this idea of generosity in them. And it wasn't like shaking their pockets. It wasn't guilt, right? Like some of us have experienced within the church community. It wasn't any of that. It was the ability to give on their own ability. Now, with this, 
often comes, I want to I hit this for just a second because I think it's important because some of you are asking this. A lot of people ask, well, then what's the, like, we have giving to their own ability here in Corinth, but what's this deal with tithing? Because I'm sure if you flipped on Christian television at any point in your life or maybe you've been around for a while and you know the story of Israel, one of the things that people sometimes point to is tithing. Um, if you're new or maybe don't have a framework for that, tithing in Israel's story was giving 10% to the community and that 10% was given by the people within the community really for the ongoing work of the priests and Levites in that community. And so what tends to happen is we take the idea of tithing from the Old Testament and a lot of people then bring it to the new and a lot of churches would say, hey, okay, what we want to do here is we want people to tithe. And so the mantra of 10% is kind of dragged into the future reality and this is how it goes. What's fascinating with the Hebrew story is we, you may or may not realize that it was actually just 10% that they would give to the ongoing work of the priests and Levites, but there were other sets of giving, if I'm communicating this right, that was encompassed in this to the ongoing work of their society as this called out people. You following me? It was, way, it was actually way beyond 10%. Uh, a lot of historians, and I've taken this from um, a couple people who have really dived into this, probably if you are a nomad, you are a Hebrew in the wilderness, right, in that society, you are giving well above 20% to the ongoing work of that community. And the reality is, the other side for us is that when we compare ourselves a little, we are the richest generation to ever walk the face of the earth. And so I want to create a little tension here for us in the sense of people ask about the tithe, the 10%. You hear nothing then of the tithe in the New Testament. You hear more about generosity and giving as one is able. And so a lot of the times people ask, what is it? What do I do? And then you have the reality, again, that this community was poor and the Hebrew community was poor and giving well over 20%. I think it puts into question for us the reality of where we are as a community and what God wants to do in us. It is true that the New Testament, once it flips to Jesus, does not talk about a tithe or a tenth. But I do think when we look through the lens of Scripture, these poor people gave well over 20% of our income. Maybe we're asking the wrong question. Anybody with me? You out there? Nod your head with me. Validate me a little. Yes. Maybe. So here's the thing. You and I just want to just really help relieve this. You and I are not under law to tithe, okay? Not under law to tithe. But nor are you under law to take a Sabbath, nor are you under law to engage in scripture and Bible reading and fixed hour prayer, silence and solitude, all the practices we talk about. We're not under law to do these things, but are they for our good? I'm asking you a question. <laughs> are they for our good? Yes. Okay. So we don't shake around like the idea of the tithe here much, and sometimes people will ask me, and all I can say from my own experience is this. Well, I'll say a couple things. 
I speak freely around generosity because this has been a huge growth thing in Heather and I's life. This is actually, and I, I'm a little cautious to say this, but I will. I feel like this is something we're good at and we've practiced at a long time. Now, if you want to talk about Sabbath, oh, man, there is no margin in my life. I'm just going to be honest. This is free therapy for you. Can me right now? Is that all right? I, I don't have a lot. I'm no, I know I'm a pastor here. I don't have a lot of margin in my life. Silence and solitude, you want to ask how that's going right now? <laughs> don't ask that, right? Because it's probably not so good. But this is the one area that I think when Jesus talks about the God of mammon, honestly, I don't want your money. We don't want your money. But one of the best things you could do if, if money is a God is to enter into the type of rhythm that Israel went into. So Heather and I have been doing this. I've been doing this since I was like 16, 17 years old. This is not a pat on the back. Most of the other practices, terrible, failing at miserably. And I think actually some of the people that write about them, it's very simplistic um, around Sabbath and silence and solitude. We need to have grace for ourselves in these things. At the same time, one of the, I can't, so I've sat under teaching that says if you tithe, right, you're giving back to God what is his, and you will receive a blessing in return. Anybody heard this? First of all, everything we have is God's. We use it all at his disposal. So sometimes the tithe could actually be like a cop-out. I actually think for many of us in this room, seriously, dead serious, I'm talking to myself, the tithe is just a flat-out cop-out because we say, what's my job? What do I need to do to kind of get God off my back? How can I receive the blessing from God, the slot machine? And so we just kind of put it around a number. For many of us in this room as we grow as a community, 10% is like training wheels for us for the amount of stuff that God has entrusted us with. And so we don't peddle the 10%, but on the, at the same time, I think for some of us in this room, the way that we could relieve ourselves from money being a God in our lives is just doing that every week. Just the rhythm, just like fixed hour prayer, just like uh, scripture reading, just like some of these other practices, what could be very, very helpful just to remind ourselves that God is not a money, uh, sorry, money is not God, is to enter into some form of rhythm where we are continually giving stuff away. And I'll just say, this is not about kind of here or, or having to do that here. Um, we'll talk about that in a minute. But like, I, all I care about is that we're not controlled by mammon like everybody else out there. You with me? There's a tension. The counterculture here is, is like grace and generosity and freedom. But I actually think just like I brush my teeth, I don't, can I be honest? I don't like brushing my teeth. Anybody else with me? Do it a few times a day. You know when you're like, some of you that are older, you fall asleep on the couch and then you got to do the toothbrush before importing yourself back into your warm bed. Is there anybody with me? And you got to brush the teeth. How just, it's terrible. But I brush my teeth every single day for my good. And I think with generosity and money, sometimes we're just not frank enough to say, to realize that maybe money is a God in our lives, just like everybody else. And the antidote for that is just to enter into something freely. And I know we're all at different levels in this room. I totally get it. I understand there's different socioeconomic things. That's actually the beauty of the community. And so when people ask me about tithing, here's my answer. We're not under law to tithe. You do not have to tithe to a church community but it's for our good. And I think one of the ways to kind of relieve us a bit of money being a God is to enter into that. Not only that, can I just be honest? 
nuts and bolts, it totally makes sense. Because when you talk about a percentage, so you don't have to do this, but in some ways it does make sense purely on the fact that when you talk about a percentage, it's an equal responsibility, right? So just like in a tax system, and I'm not saying the church should be a tax system, you know that, but like if you have a lot, 10% is a lot more. If you have a little, 10% is a lot little. So that is my response to this often comes up and people are like, so I saw this or I heard this. You do not have to do that. My hope and prayer for our community is that mammon would not be a God that is active within us. Doing okay? I'll hold a couple thoughts to the end here. Okay, so one, Paul is saying here is um, uh, they were experiencing severe trials and extreme poverty, but they were generous. Two, they gave as each was able. I love that. Openness to the spirit, to their ability, and the importance of that. But three, we also learn in verse four that they wanted to participate, right? So all of my defense mechanisms over the last couple of weeks, right, my defense of joking about money because it's like, you know, a thing and I'm trying to be cool and I want you to like me and all that kind of stuff. What you hear, <laughs> what you hear here about this community is they were just open and ready and wanted to participate. The language is that they urgently pleaded with Paul that even though they were poor, had extreme poverty, they were able to do this. I love that. The openness to say, yes, I want to participate, I want to be involved, um, I want to do this, I want to join in to help others. Beautiful thing. So they, severe trials, they were generous. Two, they gave as each was able. Three, they wanted to participate. And then what happens in verse five? If you read it, they actually exceeded Paul's expectations. Cool, eh? So like, no shaking the pockets, no, like, plea, no, like, begging. Ugh, man, church experiences. None of that. And what happens out of the goodness and the grace that was happening in the community? They wanted to participate, and then, boom, goes the dynamite. They exceed what Paul even expected would actually help with this, with what, was, what he needed this appeal for, which is incredible. And so you see, like, this free-flowing, beautiful generosity within this community, and as I look at the church here, the churches in Macedonia and where they're at, this is what I would love to continue to pursue towards. Now, I don't think all of this is prescriptive. I don't think it's a prescription of everything. I think it's describing a church community. But I do think when you lean into this, my prayer would be, God, do this deep work within us. You with me? So there's no compulsion here. You feel it? There's no compulsion here. Just the reality that we have stuff. We have a lot of stuff in our generation. And one of the things we want to work ourselves out of is following money as God. Now, to close, like nuts and bolts stuff. This is like super practical nuts and bolts stuff. I've just been thinking, you know, as we've uh, kind of moved towards co-vocational, multivocational space with our team, and I look at our own budget, just asking the question, and I don't have an answer to this, so I'm just like kicking a can out here and then I'm going to ask us to come to communion in a minute. It's just like I get to do this. Nobody's going to stop me. It's great. I may get in trouble after, but right now nobody's going to stop me. So I feel pretty good. How much should a church cost? Have you ever thought about that? I don't have an answer. 
So here's the thing. I open with my cute little JoJo illustration at the beginning, and like a uh, uh, freaking McChicken meal costs nine fifty now. He crushed that thing too. You know when your kids start to move from like happy meals to now full meals, it's going to be an interesting future. But that's I know. I'll come for prayer at the end. How much did a church cost in light of everything else? The reality is, again, we've said it over and over, no shaking pockets here, but there is a sense that even in our own progression of simplicity, of co-vocations, of all of that stuff, sometimes we want to ask about tithing, right? Like we want to say, well, does, do we really have to tithe? And I think we're asking actually the wrong questions, and this is how Jesus often works. Sometimes people ask the, kind of the wrong questions and he's able to show them the bigger picture. But if a freaking McChicken meal costs $9.50, even in its simplest form, even to like the simplest that we've gone here as a church community, the reality is it still costs money. And so we, you know, in the church there's quibbling about like 10% and all that kind of stuff. But a me- the way we've set things up here, if there was 10%, we would not know what to do with the inflow into this community. There's no judgment. I'm not, there's no judgment here. But if we flowed in that every week because you don't have a full-time pastor, and I actually think that's a good thing. We have a multi-vocational team. Our, Mark, Mark said a few weeks ago, our, like, our budget basically as a church is almost like um, a modern-day uh, household income. If we had temper, we, every week I would say to Sonia, I don't know, I'm making this up, just send this somewhere. Bless somebody, right? And so in our pursuit of sometimes asking the wrong questions, it can be a reminder to us, I am not trying to validate what we do here at Praxis, but I'm telling you, if the door is opened in this area of giving and generosity, we're not, there's no fuel for my jet, unfortunately, Right? There's no Ponzi scheme here, I promise you. <laughs> I'm too busy for that, okay? And even, you know, in, in the whole church planting world, which I'm connected to, like, I know, and this is fine. Some churches, I saw a church recently, they needed 150 bills to start the church community. And that's fine, but I got thinking, you know, when we started, me and my brother, who was living in London, a nightclub went down. You may have been there too, Kev. I'm not sure if you were there for this. A nightclub went down in Milton, and they were giving away this stuff. And we drove a U-Haul of all this, like, old school. You could, like, smell the smoke in the speakers, you know. And we just did this thing off a shoestring budget, just with the reality that sometimes we can be so dependent on our stuff. And here we are 12 years later to be able to say, man, we have set this thing up in a way that says if we are generous what's going to flow out of this is beauty really is we only need a certain amount to cover our expenses and that opens up the door to do so so much with me out there so this is not an appeal this is not shaking pockets Um, I left my white suit at home I don't have a white suit that would be terrible if I had a white suit (laughs) They were experiencing severe trials and extreme poverty, yet they were generous. They gave as each one was able or to their ability. They wanted to participate, and maybe this is like the tension here. I get it. I get it. Some of us, we feel the tension of the moment and the time. I totally get it. But they wanted to participate, and then they just exceeded these expectations. And so as we talk about money, it's a reminder to us 
that everything we have is God's. Guys, open your life. Open your life. I and we have worked hard as a community to create space where this can be beautiful, but I also do, I think at times, want to bat the, the ball back in your court to say, hey, there's so much opportunity here. And so, you know, one of the things we're trying to do at the end of our gatherings this year, we're going to come to the tables in a minute. We want to create space for prayer. And so I'm going to be at the back and there can be others with me that if you need to, you know, to somebody to stand in prayer with you, we want to stand with you as we worship together. But then, you know, let's just practice this. One of the things we're just going to remind you, and this is not a praxis thing, just be generous at the end. And listen, when mo- most of us, when we grew up in the church, it was like a basket that went by or, you know, it was intentional in the gathering. Now, no, most of us don't do that, right? It's on our phones and in our virtual world. But I would encourage you even today, and it does not have to be to praxis. It could be to anything that you, you just, you see fit as an ability to practice generosity And here's what I would say, if there's like a hold or a grip on you, just like Jesus talks about mammon, the best thing that you can do is just do it every single week. I joked earlier about that kind of growing up in an environment where it was like, if you give 10%, God is going to bless you back. (laughs) And uh, I look at my own story, and here's the thing, I say yeah to that. But it's not what you think. It's not what you think. As I think about that kind of teaching and the blessing that comes from it, I look back and I go, the very blessing, I think, and again, this is one area in Heather and I's life, the blessing for us has been money is no longer a God. That has been the blessing that we have received. This is the one area amongst all the other practices that I've talked about where we kind of live freely and all the teaching I heard, give and get, the one thing that has come back to us is we're not controlled by money. And you know that I don't use a lot of you you and me kind of language, like you. A lot of pastors, it's you, it's you. And I very much refrain from doing that. But I do sense maybe there are some of us, I'll still use the language of us, in this room where it is. And so what we want to do at the end of the gathering is just give space to practice generosity, to remind ourselves that we're not the ones in control of this and that money doesn't have to be this God and ruling over us. That we can store it up in God now, as Jesus says. You with me? With me? Okay. We're going to come to the tables. Um, why don't we do this? Let's stand up together. You guys are beautiful. And why don't you just take a moment? I know last week we did kind of an audit of just like asking Jesus, asking the Spirit what he wants to do in us. But maybe just in light of this teaching and what's happening in the churches in Macedonia, we could just ask ourselves, God, how do you want to use me? How do you want to use us? And that's our prayer, God. Use us, but for some of us maybe in this room, this morning's just a starting point. Total 2023, but for maybe some of us, it's just like opening our phone this morning and just releasing to you whatever it is, wherever, whatever direction it is, some of our stuff, just as a declaration to say, this has no hold on me. 
in a world that's dominated by mammon, Jesus, I just pray that you would continue to shape and move and work within us. Some of this is hard, God, because you're confronting us maybe, but also I thank you for the story of this church and the simplicity, the generosity, and I just also think about what is ahead because we yield our lives and our stuff to you. So as we walk down the aisle this morning towards the table, maybe we be reminded this isn't out of compulsion Jesus, you didn't come to us out of compulsion. You came to us out of love, and now we give back. We pour our lives back. So we do that this morning. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.